Good morning, Grace. I hope you have your Bibles with you. Make your way to Ruth chapter 4 and also put a little uh, bookmark in Matthew chapter 1. We'll be looking at the end of Ruth and then the beginning of Matthew today. We will see that God comes down to us. So before we talk about that, let's go to Him in prayer. Father, I thank you for your great love for us that caused you to send your son Jesus Christ, that he appeared as the God-man, fully God and fully man with those two natures united in one person. And we cling to that hope that he lived for us, he died for us, you raised him from the dead for us, and he will come again. And so now, Father, we ask that you would send your spirit to open our eyes to see wonderful things out of your word, that you would incline our hearts to your testimonies. And may we see your son, Jesus Christ, anew this morning. And may we bask in his glory and in his mercy and in his grace. And may we leave transformed for your glory. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some things in this world can take you by surprise, and if you're a human being, and you are, you've probably figured that out, that sometimes things in this world can take you by surprise. I went to a rock concert when I was in high school for you music aficionados. Technically, it was a thrash concert, different genre than rock. So I went to this concert in high school. I never expected that by the end of the evening, I would end up telling the lead singer of one of those bands that Jesus loved him. So I go to this heavy metal concert where the headliners were a group called Megadeth. Perhaps some of you have them on your iPod. Their band name means a million dead. They are not a Christian band, although since then, several of the members have become Christians. After the concert, I stopped at a Circle K convenience store. I don't know if they have Circle Ks here in California. They're, they're like uh, 7-Eleven, maybe. They're on Bill and Ted's, for those of you who know that. I stopped at the Circle K to use the restroom, and when I walked into the store, I was surprised. I saw Dave Mustaine, the lead singer and guitarist for the band Megadeth, right there in the store. So I ran into the restroom, came out as quickly as I could, and I wanted to go see him. And there he was in one of the aisles. And holding in his hand was cup of ramen. You know what those are? The ramen noodles that kind of come in the styrofoam cup that you just add the hot water to. Here was the lead singer of a famous rock group shopping for dinner after a concert at a Circle K. And he was buying ramen noodles. Of all the places that he could eat, with all the money that he had, with all of the roadies and assistants at his disposals, he himself was buying ramen noodles at a convenience store in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Surprising, to say the least. I ended up surprising him because I gave him a gospel tract and I told him that Jesus loved him. He smiled with his long hair flowing over his black leather jacket with cup of ramen in hand. And he said, thanks, dude. 
Some things in this world can take you by surprise. Like a pastor using an opening illustration to his Christmas sermon by talking about the heavy metal band Megadeth. Surprising for some of you. Maybe the title to this sermon is surprising. What a bunch of dead folks can teach you about Christmas. I'm okay with you being surprised. You know why? That seems to be the way God works in this world. So I'm just imitating my heavenly father. Our big idea today is this. God comes to us in surprising ways. God comes down to us. That is surprising. The holy God who created the universe comes down to us sinners, scoundrels, rebels, rascals, and reprobates. That ought to knock your socks off. That ought to make your jaw drop that a holy God comes down to people like us. And when he comes to us, he comes to us in such surprising ways. And that's what we'll see today out of his word. We're continuing our series in Ruth, but we're going to let Matthew 1 piggyback on the back of Ruth chapter 4 today. Next week, Lord willing, we're going to conclude our series in Ruth, and we'll actually look at verses 11 through 22, and you'll get to find out the rest of the story. We've seen in the book of Ruth, if you're visiting and you haven't been with us, Ruth and Naomi were two poor widows who had no hope of survival in the world, and yet God intervened in their situation. God came down and surprised them. Ruth ends up marrying Boaz, who will take care of her and her mother-in-law, Naomi. And as the book of Ruth closes, we'll see next week, she will give birth to a baby boy named Obed. What a suitable and surprising ending to the story that we've been involved in. Now, let's jump ahead of verse 11 and read the last paragraph of Ruth, and then we'll jump into Matthew's gospel in the New Testament. Both of these passages, Ruth chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 1, are chock full of dead people that can teach us a thing or two about Christmas. So look at Ruth chapter 4, verse 18. Hear the words of the surprising God. Now, these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nakshon, Nakshon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. Now, doesn't that just warm your heart? What, you don't go here for your morning devotions? Surely somebody here would say, that's my life verse. I love that paragraph. Isn't that what you want for Christmas? A list of dead people? How about putting that verse on a coffee mug? I would love, personally, to have these verses on a coffee mug. Wouldn't you? If you drink your coffee, you get to see a list of dead people. It seems like a million dead. It seems like mega death there as you read these. As you're reading it, it's like, oh, is, this, is it ever going to end? It's just dead person after dead person. I can't pronounce their names. I am going to try to convince you today that these verses are gold, that these verses are money, and that they should rent space on our coffee mugs. I'm going to try to convince you today that these verses 
full of dead people and verses like them in the Bible ought to be your life verse. A verse that's just all about death could be your life verse. I'm going to try to convince you today that a list of dead people can be the very thing that you need for Christmas. I want to show you today and next week how all of the tragedies that both Naomi and Ruth went through contributed to the kingdom of God coming into this world. I want to show you how their experiences, the death of their husbands, the death of their family members, all contributed to the inbreaking of God's kingdom into this world. I want to show you how what they experienced was all part of God's plan in eternity past to send his son Jesus into this world. So let's fast forward now a few years into the future. Let's leave Ruth chapter 4 and let's time travel to Matthew chapter 1 in Matthew's gospel where we will see many of the same names, many of the same dead people here. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez the father of Hezron, and Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nakshon, and Nakshon the father of Salmon, and Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. Isn't that some heartwarming stuff? Some of you just love when you read, Ram was the father of Amenadab. It really is heartwarming because it shows us that God comes to us in surprising ways. The list of dead people in Ruth chapter 4 and in Matthew chapter 1 may seem boring on the surface, but they are full of gospel hope. In these first verses, we see the family tree of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God. Jesus was born into this world, even though he had always existed. Jesus was born into this world. That truth should surprise us. The eternal God is born into our world. Jesus is born into this world as the God-man, fully God, fully God, fully man, with those two natures united together in one person. He was just like us except he never sinned. Jesus was a human being just like us. He was God in the flesh, God with us, Emmanuel. God come down in this fallen world, but he was without sin. That ought to surprise you. There can be a human being who never sins. That's all I know. All the human beings that I know sin. He never sinned. He was the God-man. But he was fully human. He had hair. He had a beard. His armpits would stink. He burped. He laughed. He needed naps. He threw up. He stubbed his toes. He cried. He suffered. Everything that we experience in this world as human beings, he experienced. He was just like us. 
yet without sin, was just like us. And he had to be born into this world just the way all of our babies are born into this world. He had to travel through the birth canal. But there was one surprising thing about his birth that we'll look at in a moment. So what's so surprising about this list of dead people in verses 1 through 6? The names are surprising, but the names are not surprising because they may sound weird or are hard to pronounce. It's not why they're surprising. Someone, several people asked me afterwards, is it, after the first service, is it hard to pronounce all those names? It's like you go up there with confidence, you act like you know what you're doing, and nobody knows any different. (laughs) You just fly through it. The names are not surprising here because they're hard to pronounce. The names are surprising because these people aren't the squeakiest clean of all people. Abraham was a liar. One of the people that we look up to, called sons of Abraham in Galatians, he was a liar. Isaac was just like his dad, he was a liar. Jacob was a deceiver and a liar. Didn't notice the name Tamar. Do you remember what happened with Tamar in Genesis 38? The shady family situation. I'll just leave it at that and you go look it up in Genesis 28. It involves incest. Not exactly how you want to go down in the history books. Not exactly how you want to go down into the Bible. All of this drama, all of this mess is a part of Jesus' family tree. It surprises us that Jesus would be from a messed up people like this. It shows us, indeed, that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Jesus' lineage is littered with thieves and scoundrels and liars and murderers and rapists and those involved in incest and rebellion. And you get to verse 5 and you see the name Rahab and you see Ruth. Rahab was a prostitute in Jericho who helped Joshua and they spared her life. She's Lady Red Light, working the Red Light District. And you've got Ruth, the Moabite woman. She's from Moab, enemies of Israel. She acts more like an Israelite in the book of Ruth than Naomi does, and Naomi is an Israelite. With these two ladies, we get some Gentile blood coming into Jesus' family, mingling with the Jewish blood. Surely it's a testimony to the fact that God loves all people of all races and nations. He loves all people groups in the world. Verse 5 ought to make you do the happy dance. Gentiles, non-Jewish people are welcome into the family of God. That's most of us here. Matthew 1, 5 ought to be on your coffee mugs, daily reminding you that God loves all people. Jesus comes down to us and joins a family line full of liars 
and deceivers and sexually immoral and prostitutes and outsiders and outcasts. God comes down to us. That is surprising. The holy God who created the universe comes down to us sinners, scoundrels, rebels, rascals, and reprobates. That ought to knock your socks off. It ought to cause your jaw to drop. Fellow pickaroons, rejoice because God came down to To us, God comes to us in surprising ways. And it continues. Look at verse 6 in Matthew's gospel. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. And Abijah, the father of Asaph. And Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. You don't get very far in verse 6, and you see a name that you know, David. David, David, David. Oh, we love him, don't we? He was one of Israel's greatest kings. He wrote a lot of the Psalms that we love. He took Goliath down with a rock. Oh, how in the world will we ever teach kids the Bible without the David story? But we all know that David had secrets. And the fact of the matter is that we all have secrets. We all have secrets that if people sitting in this room were to find out about them, we would walk away, perhaps run away in shame and embarrassment. David had secrets. The difference between David and us is that David's secrets get recorded in Scripture. Ours don't. And we all know that David messed up big time. And the reminder is right there in verse 6. It says, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. David was Solomon's dad, but how David became Solomon's dad was not a romantic story. It's not something you would see on Lifetime Channel. I think that's the one with all the romance things, right? You would not see this story on the Lifetime Channel. David should have been out in the battlefield in 2 Samuel 11. He was at home at the palace. He goes out on his rooftop and he sees this beautiful woman bathing at night. And the text goes out of the way that she was doing the right thing. She was cleansing herself. It was her menstrual period. She's doing the right thing. She's obeying Leviticus. She knows Leviticus. Bathsheba is set apart as this godly woman. David comes out. And he sins for people. And the word sin is used over and over again in 2 uh, Samuel chapter 11. He's sinning, he's sinning, he's sinning. He's abusing power. Send her, bring her to me. He kidnaps her and he rapes her. And she gets pregnant, so David has got to cover his tracks because his secrets will be out. He wanted a one-night fling. She gets pregnant, so what does he do? i got to kill her husband. Then I can marry her and all's good. So he sends her husband Uriah to the front lines of the battle where he dies. 
but God exposed David's sins through the prophet Nathan because you get to Second Samuel chapter 12, and after all of David's sending, sin, sin, sin in Hebrew, it says that Yahweh sent Nathan the prophet. Bathsheba's baby dies, David marries her, and they have Solomon. But don't miss here that Bathsheba, who was most likely an outsider, a Hittite, not an Israelite. She's a Hittite like her husband. She's often referred to in the Bible as the wife of Uriah. Sometimes they don't call her Bathsheba. I always stick down to the wife of Uriah. She gets referred to not as the wife of David, but the wife of Uriah the Hittite. It's a little too shady for me, some shady business going on, too messy, too ugly. Rape, deception, greed, abuse of power, murder. Sounds like one of those 48 hours mystery shows that you see on TV. No, no. It's a part of the surprising family tree of Jesus. We must wonder about how Jesus came down to us, condescended to us, and was associated with such sinners and messed up people like his earthly family. And if you know your Bible, you know the books of First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, which are chock full of lists of dead people, then you may recognize some of these names here in Matthew chapter 1. Some of these people are not exactly royalty material, even though they were kings. The name here for Manasseh, King Manasseh in verse 10, ought to make you queasy. When you read his name, it ought, ought to make your skin crawl. What does 2 Kings say about Judah's deportation to Babylon? Why did it come about? 2 Kings 24, 3-4. Surely this exile, deportation to Babylon, came upon Judah at the command of the Lord to remove them out of his sight for the sins of Manasseh, according to all that he had done, and also for the innocent blood that he had shed. For he filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord would not pardon Those are some scary words that the Lord finally said to Manasseh. It's too late. I will not forgive you now. The nation goes to Babylon. Jesus was related to one of the worst scoundrels in Judah's history, Manasseh. Jesus' family tree is not looking good so far. His family was messy like all of ours. Something to think about during the holidays. His family was just as messy as yours. That ought to give you some hope for Tuesday when Cousin Joe comes over. And you wonder, why is our family so messed up? Or you wonder why your crazy uncle does what he does. Now you know, because he's a sinner just like you. And maybe the very thing that he needs to hear most that day is, hey, cousin, uncle, I'm just as messed up as you are. Because maybe the message that you've been sending is that you have all your stuff together. Let's continue, Matthew chapter 1, verse 12. And after the deportation to Babylon, 
Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel the father of Abiad, and Abiad the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim the father of Azor, and Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Akim, and Akim the father of Eliad, and Eliad the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Matan, and Matan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. For the most part, all the people that you see here are just a whole bunch of nobodies, nothing terribly significant about them. They are just run-of-the-mill Israelites. There's nothing fancy or special about them, kind of like all of us. There's just a list of obscure, currently dead people, and yet the Son of God came down into this family line. This messed up, sin-sick, sin-wrecked, obscure group, people of nobodies, Jesus comes and calls it home. He called them family. God comes to us in surprising ways. How shocking that God himself would condescend to lowly humanity. But also how shocking that he would condescend to a family that was so messed up. These people listed here would be right at home on an episode of Jerry Springer or Dr. Phil. It fit fit right in. I can just see Dr. Phil saying in his nasally tone, What were you thinking, David? Rape? Deception? Murder? Wonder of all wonders, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, came down to us, to us messed up, seriously messed up, sin-sick people. And yet it gets more surprising. You kind of expect it at this point as you're reading about God coming to all these messed up people. You kind of expect God. When you send your son Jesus, it's going to be surprising. God is not predictable. He can handle a scandal. He can handle mystery. Look at verse 18 and listen to the birth of Jesus. How surprising it is. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together intimately, we know what they're talking about, right? She was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly, put in parentheses, because he thought she was with somebody else. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, parentheses, not by another man. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not intimately until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. How's that for surprising? A virgin will conceive and give birth. 
We know the birds and the bees, right? This doesn't happen. A virgin shall conceive and bring forth a child. It had to be this way. Jesus could not be from his earthly father, Joseph. He was a sinner. But his, his mom, Mary, was a sinner. She was a sinner. But she was found to be with child by the power of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Jesus is born of a woman so that he could be human. Jesus is not born a sinner like all those in his family tree. He is born the God-man. Fully God, completely God. Fully man, completely man. And those two natures were united in one person. And Jesus, though born into a messed up family tree, is not a sinner and never did sin. He was not messed up. His parents were, but he was not. And he came to live the life that we could never live because we're messed up. And he came to die the death that we all deserve because we're messed up. Because of our sins and our rebellion against God. That's why Matthew says in verse 21, And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. That's a verse you should put on your coffee mugs. Charles Spurgeon said, The Lord of glory is born, the Son of man, and is named by God's command and by man's mouth, Jesus, the Savior. He is what he is called. He saves us from the punishment and the guilt of sin, and then from the ill effect and evil power of sin. This he does for his people, even for all who believe in him. It is his nature to do this, as we will see in the fact that his very name is Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. Jesus is Joshua in Hebrew. Means Yahweh saves. His name is Jesus, Savior. We will still call him by that name, for he still saves us in these latter days. Let us go and tell out his name among men, for he will save others. Jesus came to save. He came to save us from our love affair with ourselves. He came to live the life that we could never live. He came to die the death that we all deserve and die in our place because we are all born sinners, just like all of these dead people in Matthew chapter 1, just like all of these dead people in Ruth chapter 4. You might as well write your name in the margin in Ruth and in Matthew because you are just like these people. This is your history too. And it all started in the Garden of Eden. In the first book of the Bible, in Genesis chapter 3, when your first parents and my first parents, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God. When that talking snake, the devil, showed up and started asking questions, everything changed and everything went downhill. They believed Satan's lies. They disobeyed God. And when they did that, sin entered this world. And sin gets passed on to every single kid by every single parent. That's why all of the dead people in Matthew chapter 1 and Ruth chapter 4 are messed up because of sin. And that's why you're messed up. Because you're a sinner. Just like me. Just like every human being born into this world. Welcome to the club. I'd have thought about it, I would have given stickers to hand you as you go the do, out the door that says, Hello, my name is Messed Up Sinner. Maybe you should wear those on Christmas Day so that you tell 
your family and extended family that, yes, I am very messed up. If I've sent the message that I've got it all together, you're wrong. Only Jesus has it all together. So, yes, I am a messed up sinner. Martin Luther said, if you could see the sin and ugliness inside my heart, you'd fall over dead. That's all of us. And I've often told people, if you could see the darkness and the sin and the wickedness in my heart, if I could open my heart up and you could see what's in there, you would scream and take off running. Welcome to humanity post-Garden of Eden. That's the bad news. We're all messed up. We're all sinners. We're all rebels. We all deserve to die because we've turned away from God. That's what came down to us from Adam and Eve. Is God's reaching out in his grace to us and we say, no, thank you. I want to live my way. That's the bad news. We've all been affected by it. The good news is that God loved his creation so much that he sent Jesus into this world to live the life we could never live, to die the death that we all deserve. God could have just said, well, forget you guys. I'll just make a whole new world. No, it was part of his plan. He loved us. Even when we turned away and we're rebels, by nature, by birth, by our actions and our words and our thoughts and our motives. And yet, he sent Jesus to fix what Adam broke. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Commenting on this verse, Martin Luther said, Our most merciful Father, seeing us to be oppressed and overwhelmed with the curse of the law, sent his only Son into the world and laid upon him all the sins of all men, saying to Jesus, You, Jesus, be Peter that denier, Paul that persecutor, blasphemer, and cruel oppressor, David that adulterer, that sinner who ate the apple in paradise, that thief who hung upon the cross, and briefly, Jesus, you be the person who has committed the sins of all men. See, therefore, that you pay and satisfy for them. Think about that. Jesus, born just like us, never sinned. And all the sins of the world placed upon him for those who would call out to him as Savior. All of your sins. Can you imagine? Isn't that enough? And you take everyone's. All his people who would trust in him placed on his son in that moment. And God would pour out his holy and just and righteous anger and wrath because we've all turned away. Somebody's got to be punished. And Jesus, like a sponge, absorbed every last drop of God's anger against sin for those who would believe and trust in him. And then God was satisfied. Satisfied. Someone's taken the punishment for everyone's sins. Absolutely satisfied. Jesus was born into a seriously messed up family tree. But he was not messed up. He never sinned. He became sin for those who repent of their sins and trust in him. Jesus became the liars, the deceivers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the seriously jacked up people. He became them on the cross. Jesus became sin for us. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake... He made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christmas is all about 
dead people. Christmas is all about the eternal son of God taking on humanity that he might die for all those who are born into this world dead in sin. Jesus lived, died, and was buried and raised again from the dead so that you would be able to get out of the coffin that you were born into. You were born six feet under spiritually. Did you know that? Did you know that Christmas is all about dead people? You were born spiritually six feet under in a coffin, in a casket because of Adam's sin. Oh, you're walking around, you're talking, you work your job. But until you believe the gospel, you remain dead in sin, six feet under. Jesus comes along, says, I'll dig you up. And I'll wipe the dust off and the dirt off and then I'll open the casket. And I will give sight to your eyes. I will raise you up from the deadness and trespasses and sins through the gospel message, through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. He does that work because we're dead. We can't come to him. We can't call out to him. We can't look for him. We're dead, dead, dead in sin. And Jesus comes along with a shovel, the shovel of the gospel, and starts digging us up. He opens our eyes to see him as the most beautiful, wonderful treasure and pleasure in this world. And when we confess our sins... And admit that and say, God, I've rebelled against you. I believe that Jesus lived for me and died for me. That he was raised from the dead and I believe you've done that. Then you come out of the grave. You come out of the coffin and you are made spiritually alive. And you can be made alive today. The greatest Christmas present of all was Jesus dying for a bunch of dead people, spiritually dead people. Will you turn from your sin and escape the wrath to come? Will you turn from your sin and escape eternity in hell, eternal death? Because those that never do will be resurrected at the end of time, made alive physically in a physical body in hell will experience eternal death forever as God pours out his holy, just anger and wrath against you because you rebelled against him. Jesus came to save you from your love affair with yourself and he came to save you from the coming wrath of God one day. He came to save you from God. God will return one day to judge the world and those who have not trusted in Jesus will spend eternity in hell suffering and paying for their sins forever. But that does not have to be you today. God loves you so much. He sent Jesus to live and to die for you. Will you believe? The people in Ruth 4 and Matthew 1 are screaming out to you that Jesus came down to a seriously messed up people in order to bring them to God. Can you hear them? Put your ears close to the pages of your Bible and hear these dead people screaming at you, God loves you. He loves you right where you are. And he loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus to save you from spiritual death. Turn from living for yourself. Admit your rebellion. Hate 
your sin and rebellion and turn and trust and cling and believe in Jesus. And when you do that, you will come up out of the coffin that you're in and you will begin living a new life. And then when Jesus comes back at the end of time, after you've died physically, he'll raise your body again to be with him forever on the new earth. That's the gospel message. God came down. Jesus came to bring us to God. God comes to us in surprising ways. God comes down to us. That's surprising. The holy God who created the universe comes down to us sinners, scoundrels, rebels, rascals, and reprobates that ought to knock your socks off, that ought to make your jaw drop, that ought to make you stand up and sing the doxology with passion. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Spurgeon says about Matthew 1, Let us leave this wonderful passage worshiping the Son of God who condescended to be born the Son of Man. Thus our God became our brother. Bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. The nearer he comes to us, the more humbly let us adore him. The more true the kinship of our King the more enthusiastically let us crown him Lord of all. God came to us in a surprising way because Romans 5, 8 says, God shows, but God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, enemies, God came to us, sent Jesus. He came to us in a surprising way while we were sinners, and said, no, thank you. He came to us. He didn't come because we were crying out for him. It's not like we were wandering around saying, there's got to be a God who created all this. Who is he? Come help us. Where are you? Answer our prayers. Please come to us. We want to know you. That's not how we're born into this world. We're born into this world as saying, I don't like you. I hate you. I want to live my own way. No, thank you. God did not come to us when we were crying out for him. He came to us when we were rebelling against him. Do you see how surprising it is? Do you see his love for sinners that when we were rebelling against him and saying, no, thank you, he was saying, I love you. God comes to us in surprising ways. So let us now go to him in worship and adoration for his mercy and his grace. May his spirit cause our hearts to well up in wonder, awe, amazement, bewilderment, and flat-out astonishment at his prodigious love for sinners like us. Let's pray. Oh God, we're so overwhelmed. There is no one like you. No one pursues their enemies to shower them with love and affection. People pursue their enemies to kill them. And yet while we were enemies and rebels, not crying out for you, but living defiantly against you, 
you came to us. You chased us down because you love us. And God, this morning, there are people that don't know you. Would you regenerate them now by the power of the Holy Spirit? Open their eyes to see Jesus Christ as the most beautiful treasure that this world has to offer. And may they experience adoption into your family so that they could leave here today and say, I'm a child of God. For those of us who are your children, Father, we've already repented and believed in Jesus. Would you drive home the point once more that because of Jesus, we can be adopted into your family. May it not be old news to us. May it be good news once again. And then may we go tell others about it. Thank you for loving scoundrels, rebels, and sinners like us. May you get great glory. In Jesus' name, amen.